Let's pray together as we jump into Colossians chapter one. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd help us to make much of Jesus this morning. God, humble us as we look into a passage that so many of us have looked at before. And Father, I pray that you'd keep us teachable, ready to hear from you, and then that we'd be reliant upon you in order to see change happen in us, that we could live this out. God, you are worth it. Jesus, you are worthy. And we love you, and we thank you for your word. And so I pray that anything, God, that is uh, of you, that we'd remember it. We can't let it go. And that anything that is not of you, that we'd forget it by the time we leave. That we would just be so focused and about Jesus that people would notice and be blown away. God, we love you. Bless this time for your, for your glory, we pray in your name. Everybody says, amen. <clears throat> Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 9. Here Paul is writing to the church in Colossae and says this, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now just stop there for just a second. When is the last time that it hit you? That we are actually in this type of relationship with God where he actually wants to reveal his will to us. I mean, we, we, it's kind of become kind of this normal thing. Well, of course he does. Guys, we don't deserve it though. I mean, for God to actually speak to us and say, I want you to know what it is that I want for you. I mean, what other world religion in the, in the world can actually say that? Where God wants to make sure that he dictates to us and speaks to us what his will is, not just overarching for the world, but specifically for us. That he says, I want to speak to you so you know exactly what your will is. And for Paul to say, this is my prayer for you. When is the last time that that's what we pray? That God, I pray that you would just reveal to, and whoever that person is, God, reveal to them your will based upon your wisdom and understanding. With all wisdom and understanding, that they would be so certain of what it is that you've called them to do. And guys, I'm not against, I mean, we should be praying for healing and comfort of everybody. But when's the last time we pulled back from that for just a second and prayed that type of prayer? That in the midst of the suffering, because really scripture does teach that suffering is part of the plan of God, that there are things that God uses suffering for in our lives. There's some suffering that comes because we make really stupid decisions. We just have to admit that. And then there's others where it's just life. And even if you've made that stupid decision in the past, God says, I can redeem that and use that for my purpose. But the stuff that just happens, guys, God uses that suffering for, for his glory and some specific purpose in our lives. And so during those times of suffering, what we should be asking God is also this. Not just, God, if you want to take this away, that'd be great. I would really appreciate it. In fact, that's my preference. But on top of that, if you say no for a time or no ever, then help me understand your will. Help me to see your purpose in this and how this will bring you the most glory. So Paul's prayer for them is not just, hey, God's comfort, God's presence, but no, I want you to understand his will with all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as, now here it is, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. To walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. This is not just about right belief not just having nice little thoughts, but to walk our lives in a manner worthy of Jesus. Do you ever find yourself tempted with this idea that Jesus is so lucky he has me? I mean, he is so lucky that he has me. I'm so vital to the kingdom. I remember I was speaking at, a, I was speaking at Hume Lake a couple, couple winters ago, gave the, the gospel message and a bunch of kids made decisions. Afterwards, this kid comes walking up 
And he's a little bit dramatic, and I'm not much to play on the dramatic side of things. So, but he's, I'm, I'm with him. I'm, I'm with you, buddy. Come on. And he just says something like this. He goes, Brian, I just don't feel, I don't feel worthy. And I don't, know if, I don't know what he's thinking. I don't know if he thought I'd like come along, pat him on the back. Yeah, you are. Your mom said you're worthy, so you're worthy. You are, you're worthy. So he's like, Brian, I just don't feel worthy. And I said, you're not. And his eyes got huge. He looks at me. I go, you're, you're not. He's like, what do you mean? I said, you're, I don't know how else to say this. You're not worthy. But the cross is proof that Jesus has deemed you worth it. Do you see the difference in that? To walk around with this mentality of, oh, I'm worthy. I mean, Jesus, you're so lucky to have me. I'm worthy of any good thing. And Jesus is going, no, you're not. But the cross is proof that I think you're worth it. That my value is based upon God's opinion of me. That I'm created, you're created. Every person on the planet is created in the image of God. And so there is their value. And so because we're all created in the image of God, we should be striving to treat each other in a manner worthy of Jesus because he's created them. But to live our lives in a manner worthy of Jesus is exhausting. I mean, every single thing that I say, every single thing that I do, how I spend my money, how I spend my time in a manner worthy of Jesus. Remember we did that first fruit series back in like November? We did it at Flood also on Thursdays. But I got convicted about something, and not the money side, it was, the, it was my time side. Because I, I would kind of live my life, but okay, quiet times with God, yeah, I do it. I mean, I was doing it, but it was like, I'm really busy, God. I mean, you don't, I don't think you understand how vital, again, how vital I am to your work. And so I get the boys up for school and you get to take them to school. And I got to hear to the church. And when I get to the office, that's when I'll do it. But I never did it when I got to the office because I was, that's when it's game time. It's like, boom, time to get it done. That's like I'll do it when I get home. And so there would be days in between. I got so convicted because there's this one word that somehow has kind of missed this idea of discipleship. It's the word sacrifice. Sacrifice. Guys, discipleship without sacrifice doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. And so I just got convicted and I felt like God was saying, give me the first fruits of your time. Like right when you wake up, get up earlier. And I'm like, oh, you're not calling me to that. Have you seen my bed? You provided that for me. Because you know when you get out, doesn't it call you right back? That's why some of you are so addicted to this news button. You're like, "Uh uh-uh. I love this thing. And then when you get out, it just starts calling your name. Brian, come back. I want to. I want to. Brian, I can't. But I said, okay, get up early. I'm like, ah, seriously? So 10 to 6, I get up. So I'm like, dude, I've already had lunch by then. Well, sucks for you. (laughs) I don't have to do that. Okay, so 10 to 6, 6 o'clock. I'm in my office and I'm spending time with God. And guys, I can say this in all honesty. It has been the sweetest times with Jesus in all of my life. Not because I'm finally reading the Bible. I've been reading the Bible. But because I've sacrificed time, I've made Jesus the priority of my day in the very beginning. That everything goes around that. 
And God has blessed that. And as long as we keep trying to make Jesus a little bit or a little piece of our life, kind of like this. I like to play golf. I like, wood, I like woodworking. I like Jesus. Here's, it all fits together. No, 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 no. Jesus is everything. To live my life in a manner worthy of him, the almighty one, the almighty God of everything, to live my life in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Isn't that incredible? He says, yes, I want you to live this life that looks like you love me. I mean, make it so obvious when you're living your life, people see, wow, that is a follower of Jesus. But don't let that replace your time in growing in your knowledge of God. Guys, when you've been spending time in the word, for those of you who are, when you have something pop out at you, it's not because you or I discovered it. We're not that smart. You know what it is? It's God revealing it. So when you've had that happen and you kind of, it just pops out, you need to stop and go, oh, whoa, whoa, this is a God moment. Like God, right now, you are revealing something to me. So let me pause long enough to sit and to stare at this sucker so that this thing will sink into my mind because right now the divine is interacting with this. He's revealing and he's revealing and he's constantly revealing more of himself to us. And for those that say, Brian, I've read the Bible through once. I'm good. Wow. You're impressive. You got it all in one take. That blows my mind. For those that say, I don't read the Bible. I got, a, I got a challenge and I love it. I do this as lovingly as I can. You cannot understand the will of God unless you are spending time in the word of God. You can't. So when I ask people, hey, how are you and Jesus doing? Oh, I'm praying a lot. I just don't read the Bible enough. Like, Why not? And I'm with you because I know we're busy. Because we have these things in our pockets that are huge. And we can scroll our lives. And we look at everybody else's lives and double tap to like that picture. Oh, I like your fake life too. You're laughing because you know it's true. Because that's when you put the filter on. I'm like, I never look this good, normal. But then I put a filter on it and I'm like a magazine cover. I mean, there I am. So we're just I like, like, yeah, like, 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 like. Brian, I'm busy, busy. And all the while, God's sitting there going, the thing that I penned for 1,500 years, I'd sure like you to know my heart. I'd like you to know how I think. So that when you face that thing that is way beyond your ability to, to endure, you'll know me. Can I, just, I, sh- I shared this with the young adults last night. There's this idea. I don't know where you came up with this idea. We actually believe, we, and we say it to each other as an encouragement. God will never give you more than you can handle. He'll never give you more than you can handle. Hogwash. <laughs> Doesn't have He said, there go, no, no, it's true. Well, okay, here's the thing. If that's true, God will never give you more than you can handle, then why in the heck would you ever call out to God? Because you can handle it all. You look at 1 Corinthians chapter, or 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says, we were burdened so bad beyond our ability to endure so that we might, re- we might learn to rely upon God. And I look at that verse and I look at our little saying that we've turned into scripture. And so if you're going through something that is so beyond your ability to endure, welcome to the party. 
And God will use that. And you sit there and go, this is so hard. But if you don't spend time in the word where the word is telling you, hey, you're going through this so that you might not learn to rely upon yourself, but that you would learn to rely upon God. You just get bitter in the pain rather than seeing the purpose in it of drawing us closer and closer to Jesus. Because that concept doesn't come from me feeling right and feeling fine about things. That comes from the word of God challenging my concepts so that when I, do, when I do go through, not if, but when I do go through suffering, that I will understand that God has a purpose in everything and God's will will happen. And that as I go through it, I can ask for God to take it away. And if he decides not to, then I say, God, show me your perspective and may you receive glory through how I suffer for you. That's this, that's spending time with him getting to know his heart as he continually reveals himself more and more to us. Verse 11, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Isn't that great? It's not according to your glorious might, but may you be strengthened with the power of the Trinity. You know, the one who spoke everything into existence, may you be strengthened by him for all endurance and patience with joy. Patience. I don't like that one. You ever notice how polite we are when we drive in the parking lot of the church? I mean, everyone's, no, you go, no, you go, you, no, that's why it takes us 22 hours to get out of the church parking lot. No, no, you go. That's why, and we're all frustrated. We're all getting hungry and angry. So we're hangry. We want to go to lunch. Like, no, no, you go, you go. But once we hit the street, we're putting our battle gear on. We're putting our helmets like, ah, you want some of this old man? And so like, we're ready to go. You see how your patience is when you leave the church parking lot compared to how you are when you drive here. It is so funny when I go to conferences that are for pastors, it's the same thing. I mean, there's thousands of us there. We are so polite. We're like, no, come on, come on. No, you got, I know you cut in front of me, but you need that coffee more than we do. It's fine. But at Starbucks in Pomona, oh, no, no. Game on, friends. And here's Paul's prayer. That I want you to be empowered according to his glorious might, with patience and joy. And you sit there and go, Brian, I'm not patient. I get it. I'm with you. But isn't it amazing that we don't have to do it by ourselves? You know, the byproduct of this relationship with the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. He's never even asked us to do it by ourselves because he knows we can't. Not only does he save us, but he empowers us. He walks with us. He gives us everything that we need to walk the life that he calls us to walk that is worthy of the gospel, that is worthy of Jesus. He gives us everything. He makes it possible by coming and dying, rising from the dead, that we can have relationship with God and then makes it possible because he empowers us to live that life because he knows we can't do it by ourselves. And I'm so thankful that God knows that because why? I don't have to try to impress him and lie that I'm trying to do it by myself. I don't have to sit there and just kind of portray or put on this act with him going, hey, look how great I'm doing at this. He knows that I suck no matter what. And you do too. And you get to verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father. To the Father. For some of you, you hear that word. 
And there's no joy in that word. Either you don't like dad or you never knew dad. But I look at this and I go, wow. So this is, this is the God of the universe who says, my favorite title, the thing I prefer that you call me, my favorite is that you call me dad. That's the relationship I'm invited into. That's the relationship that all of us, we have, we're followers of Jesus, we're invited into that. And if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, that's the, that's the invitation that he invites you into. Well, Brian, we are all created children of God. No, we, were, we are not created all children of God. We are his creatures. We are adopted into his family. John chapter one is very clear. But we're invited into that relationship where he calls me son and I call him dad. Now, here, now watch the things that God did. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in, in light. He has delivered us from the domain, domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So let me ask you, what part did we play in all of that? Look, look, look at it again. Uh, what was that? He has qualified you. He's delivered us. He's transferred us. And we're just here. Isn't it amazing that God's like, I will do anything to have you back. So I can't stand before God and say, hey, look at, my, look at what I've done. Look at, my, look at my resume. Here's my spiritual resume. Look what I've accomplished. God's like, wait, I delivered you. I transferred you. I rescued you. I saved you. I did everything necessary. I've reconciled you to myself. What did you do? I broke it. That's what you did. And God came and fixed it. Do you see how we could just sit and just kind of actually be thankful continually? Because we don't deserve any of this. He didn't have to do this, but he wanted to do this, but that he transferred us to the kingdom and his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You're forgiven. Followers of Jesus, hold on just a second. Just for those of you that say you're a follower of Christ. Can I just remind you? You say, this is so elementary. I know, but if, if we really believed it, I think it would change everything. What would happen if you lived just today knowing you're forgiven, even of that thing that keeps haunting you from the past? Like it's done. You're blameless. So he doesn't blame you. As far as the east is from the west, he removes our sins from us. What if we actually believed that we actually were the beloved of God. That John had it right, even though he sounds kind of like an arrogant little jerk in his own little gospel when he refers to himself as the beloved disciple. What if we actually live today knowing and believing and receiving the truth that we are the beloved of God? That we are loved and liked by him. And that love and liking of us, the pleasure that he takes in us, is as big as he is. And was on us and for us before the foundation of the world. We were chosen in him. What would happen if we actually believed that? Just for one day. The regrets, gone. Striving to appease an angry God, gone. You might actually just get to breathe for a day. What if we could just accept the fact that we truly are forgiven? And those of you who are here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus... Forgiveness is the thing that he offers. Forgiveness in relationship with himself. You can't save yourself. You can't do enough good things to get to him and he knows that. So he came for us. 
He came for us to redeem us. That's what the passage says. In whom we have redemption, the buying back and the forgiveness of sin that we're right with him. It's a gift. He says, I want to give this to you. And then right after that, he jumps into verse 15 and he starts talking about Jesus. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. That's, pr- that's a pretty clear declaration of the divinity of Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn. People go, oh, firstborn, that means he was created. No, no, the word firstborn can also be translated as the preexistent one. So he's the firstborn, he's the preexistent one over all of creation. So when John's penning out his gospel and he comes, he's like, gosh, how do I start this? I'll start with Jesus. In the beginning was, so when the beginning began, the word already was, the word being Jesus. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. And let's just go from there. Let's start with him because he, it all starts with Jesus. That he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Now, guys, I've used this analogy. It's been years, though, but I just watched it again. I watched it on YouTube because that's what we pastors do. We don't do anything else. We're just trying to find stuff on YouTube for our sermons. So I, was, I just watched this. I, guys, and I, say, I, I don't usually say go watch something on YouTube because I don't know, I don't know what the commercial is going to be on it. So I just say, hey, go look up How Great Is Our God by Louis Giglio. I remember the first, I don't even know how I got onto this thing. It was like a 40 minute message. And I don't know, my attention span is not that long, but for some reason I stuck with it. 40 minute sermon. And he just starts talking about this grandeur of God and the universe and stars. And I just, I looked at it again, just to get ready for this thing I was doing a couple weeks ago. And I went, man, it blows my mind what God can do. So just look it up and watch the whole thing. Cause I remember when I watched it the first time I was blown away. I, I, I took my laptop and I ran over to Kelly and she's probably like grading papers or something, being responsible. I'm just like, you got to watch this, throw all that aside. Can you imagine being married to this? Boom. You got to watch this right now. She watches it, closes the laptop. She goes, I need to go pray. I'm like, oh, okay. So this is a cue. So we got to go pray. So she goes in the bedroom and then she shuts the door behind her. And I'm just standing there looking at the door. You meant, you meant alone. Okay, so I'll go, I'll go over here by myself. Guys, it blew my mind. Because when you start thinking of that God created everything, that he created everything out of nothing, that the psalmist says that out of the exhale of God came all the starry hosts, that when God exhaled, when Jesus exhaled, the sun popped out, that thing that's 93 million miles away, that you could fit 960,000 earths inside the sun, Guys, when think about it, when you go outside and you feel the heat from that star, it's traveling 93 million miles to warm our planet. You could fit 960,000 Earth. So if the Earth were a golf ball, you could fit 960,000 golf balls. Here's the thing 960,000 golf balls will fill a school bus with golf balls. So do me a favor find your golf ball called Earth in the middle of the bus. And then find you on it. And then that's not the one that wrecked me. There's this one called Beetlegeist, but they also pronounce it Beetlejuice. Who's seen that movie? Beetlejuice? Sinners. Okay, so here's the thing. I'm just joking. Okay, I'm kind of. No, I'm just joking. Okay, Beetlejuice. Guys, this thing is, I think it's 400, I think I want to say it's 463 light years away. That means you go 186,000 miles per second for 463 years and you'll reach it. And then when you show up, 
Guys, this thing is so huge. Guys, it's twice the size of the sun. No, no, no. Twice the size of the earth's orbit around the sun. Guys, you can fit 262 trillion earths inside this one star called Betelgeuse. And I heard that number, I'm like, that just wrecked me. Guys, if the earth were a golf ball, Betelgeuse would be the size of the Empire State Building with five more Empire State Buildings stacked on top of it. So here's what we're going to do. After service, we're all going to go to the airport. Purpose Church is paying for it. Peter Torrey is fine with it. Okay, so <laughs> we're all going to go to Ontario Airport because LAX sucks. So we're going to go to Ontario Airport because you always get mad when you're at LAX, right? You're always mad because it's, it's just crazy. So go to Ontario. You have to buy a golf ball. Buy your own golf ball. Don't be cheap. Okay, so get your golf ball. We're going to show up. We're going to fly to New York. We're going to get off the plane. We're going to go right in front of the Empire State Building. All of us are going to put our, our golf balls down in front of it at the same time. You say, won't we look weird? It's like, it's New York. They're all weird. Okay, so you take your golf ball, put it right there on the floor. Then you pull back. There's Earth. There's the Empire State Building with five more. So there's Earth. That's Beetlejuice. You can, you can fill up the LA Coliseum with golf balls. 262 trillion golf balls. We'll fill the LA Coliseum with golf balls to the top a couple thousand times. The first time I heard that, I went, I don't know how to talk to God anymore. I don't know what to say to him because he just breathed that out. Are you kidding me? There's another one called Musifi. If I had another kid, that's what our kid's name would be. That's why God didn't give me another one. Can you imagine? Doesn't that sound like a man? He's like, Musifi. Come here, Musifi. Oh, I'm good to go, Dad. I mean, that's crazy. Guys, you could fit, here's it. You could fit 2.7 quadrillion Earths inside Musifi. You get to quadrillion, I don't know what it is. I think 2.7 quadrillion, I think that's the national debt. That's huge. 2.7 quadrillion Earths inside this one star. And that's not even the biggest one that they know of. The biggest one we know of, seriously, literally it's called Canis Majoris, which literally means the big dog. This is the big dog star. You can fit seven quadrillion Earths inside this one star that God breathed out. So the earth were a golf ball. Canis Majoris would be the size of Mount Everest. Six miles high. The highest point on our planet. So when we leave here, we go to New York. And we're going to jump on a plane and go to Nepal. Talk to Peter Torrey. He'll take care of it. Okay, go to Nepal. We're all going to go to the base of Mount Everest. Put our golf ball at the base and step back and go, that's earth. That's Canis Majoris. Seven quadrillion golf balls will fill the state of Texas two feet deep. Do me a favor, find your golf ball. Then find you on it. And think of the last time you told God how to be God. Think of the last time you told him what to do. Did you realize every tiny little bit of creation is for a purpose? Even mosquitoes. It's not possible. I just, I, I, I never believed it. And I'm at, I'm at this camp, of, oh, I think it was last, last weekend. And the program director says, hey, a guy just spoke on mosquitoes. I'm like, seriously? I hate them. And I say, you shouldn't hate what God creates. I'm sorry. I hate them. 
when they land on my arm, they start putting their little, their little nose in my, well, no nose or whatever the technical term is. That's why I'm a pastor. Okay, so they put their nose. I try to like squeeze it to see if their nose gets stuck and then it just explodes with all my blood. How fantastic is that? That's how I wanted to end the sermon. Thanks for coming, guys. Have a great day. All of a sudden he goes, hey, a speaker was just here this summer. He, he said that he, he preached this sermon and part of it, he gave the reason for mosquitoes. I'm like, there's no purpose for mosquitoes. They came after the fall. I guarantee they, didn't, they have no purpose. He goes, I'm serious. He goes, when you're driving up here, guys, this, this camp is in Badger, California. Who's ever heard of that? Nobody, because there's six people that live there. Okay, so Badger, California, worst windy road, but there's some gorgeous valleys. And so he goes, this is what mosquitoes do. Because during the summer when the mosquitoes come out, the deer have come down. The mosquitoes out. The deer can't handle it, which I agree with the deer. So the mosquitoes drive the deer back up the hills. As the deer are running through the fields, pollen and seeds from the wild grass are attaching themselves to the deer. As the deer keep moving, nor, keep moving up the hills, those begin to fall off into the fields. And those wildflowers that cover the hills are because of mosquitoes. Are you flipping kidding me? Every atom, neutron, proton, every tiny little thing has been created for a purpose. He's the creator of everything. Jupiter. How sick is Jupiter? Did you thank God for Jupiter today? Me either. But you can fit 1,320 Earths inside Jupiter. You know what Jupiter's job is? Keep the comets away from us. The gravitational pull of Jupiter, because it's stronger than ours, either the comets will deflect or like be, be rerouted because of, because of Jupiter's gravitational pull. It'll be rerouted from us or just slam into Jupiter. How fantastic is that? That's your job. Jupiter is Earth's bodyguard. Even Jupiter has a purpose. But what about us? Like when you look in the mirror, like what do you see? Now there's some of you, like that's when you take your selfies at the gym. Don't even get me started on that. I know I made fun of the fact that some of you guys take pictures of your food. And there were a lot of you that then did a lot of, it's like, you guys sucked as you did it. Because you did it to me. Like you posted my name on it. All these, I had a guy from Canada going, hey, how come all these people are posting pictures and putting your name with it? It's my church. It's the 21st century version of toilet paper and they nailed me. Oh my gosh, they're funny. But there's somebody that like, you're at the gym, you're like, there it is. Click. I'm not impressed. That looks a little weird. But the purpose of looking in the mirror is what? To find the flaw. Right? You realize that your body, our bodies are made of about 75 trillion cells. Every three seconds, 50,000 of those cells will die and be replaced by 50,000 new ones. That's why you're so tired. Because <laughs> you're just always working. You don't even know it. You're like, why am I tired? You just lost 50,000 cells, got new ones. Oh, that does it. Okay. And gentlemen, use that as the reason to nap. <laughs> Babe, I'm tired. I just killed off 50,000 cells, made new ones. What else do we need to do? Mow the lawn? Uh-uh, I got it. Sorry, I opened up a candle. Okay, so here's the thing. Each cell, each, each of those 75 trillion cells, each of them have some six feet of DNA. 
in each of them. The DNA, the blueprint of who you are, like how tall you are, how tall you aren't, how much hair you have or not. Like if you have a sense of humor at all, it's all in the blueprint. So if you were to take all the DNA out of all of the cells and tie them end to end, we would have enough DNA to go from the earth to the moon and back 172,000 times. And God says, I put you together. I knit you together in your mother's womb that friends, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. That Jesus is the creator of everything. We don't see that. We just see the flaw. And we'll look at sunsets. We'll go to the beach and mountains, wherever we go, we look at valleys and canyons. And, and if you can't afford to travel, you'll just look at all that stuff on the screensaver on your computer. It's like, oh, I see it, oh, that's beautiful. Can't afford it, but I see it. And the whole while we'll miss the miracle standing right in front of us, looking at this in the mirror. He's the creator of everything and never, ever, ever has, has said, oops, never. And I know that we can look at, well, what about this? And how come this? And God's sitting there going, you got to trust me. Maybe this life has less to do without, about us and our comfort and making sure that we all arrive at death as safely as possible. But maybe God is really about his glory. Because if you lived at all, and you've gone through suffering and you've come to the end of it, don't you kind of sit there and go, I don't want to do that again. But holy crow, God, you're good at what you do. He's the only one that can take the broken and do something miraculous with it where he receives glory in the end. Verse 17, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. I'm convinced that Jesus is doing more miracles than we can ever imagine. All day, every day, how do I know? Guys, he's the one who holds all things together. The reason that our planet isn't spinning off into the universe, if we're spinning at 1,000 miles an hour going around the sun, it's 66,000 miles an hour, and the, the, uh, the sun and the nine planets going around the center of the Milky Way galaxy at 540,000 miles an hour, constantly never slowing down. The only reason that we're not flying off into the universe is because Jesus holds all things together. So I'm just convinced that if he can keep our planet from just taking off, he can take care of that thing that's freaking you out. And he can say, I got it. Why? I hold all things together. So let's make it personal. For those of you that maybe you're in the room and you're one step from your marriage dissolving, Jesus says, I hold all things together. You have a relationship that's busted and broken and Jesus is saying, I hold all things together. When there is no hope, there's a God who says, I hold all things together. It's just, what are you gonna do? We have Jesus at our disposal whenever we need him. And we can either live in our pride or we can submit to his will and be blessed by that. And he is the head of the body, the church. Aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you glad he's in charge? You, can you imagine the things we would fight about if we were in charge? Worship style. 
remember when I first started dating Kelly? Went to her church up in Atwater, California. And they had like the dueling piano player and the organist. And they're both like 700 years old. And this one's like piano. Everything plays piano. Ah, and this one's organ. They're like going at it the whole time. And then they had these things. I don't know if you've heard of these. They're in the book. We never opened them. These things called hymnals. It's the only book that you don't read normal because you skip lines. You know what I'm talking about? You start here and then you go to the next line. You're like, why? That's not the right line. Why is there a number two? There's one, two. Oh, one, 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 one. Refrain back. Oh, crud. I don't know where I'm going. What do these notes mean? I don't even know what that means. We actually sang out of those things. In my arrogance. I was a jerk back in the day. In my arrogance, I said this in my mind. Not out loud because that would be offensive. I said, God's not here. Like, who would do this? And I felt like God, by faith, I heard this. If you can't worship me here, then you're not worshiping me at home. Guys, have you ever just read the hymns and went, wow, there's some depth in this. And some say, yeah, I have. That's the only way. Drums, no. <laughs> so we just fight about worship styles. We fight about dress. I've actually had someone at this church walk up. When you wear jeans, I don't listen to anything you preach. I'm like, dang, you should, because I'm preaching some sweet stuff. Say, I can't believe you actually just said that. Are you trying to offend me? No, I'm just trying to get you off your high horse and get back to Jesus. We fight about, oh, the donuts are stale. The coffee doesn't say the same. Oh, my room, my Sunday school class got changed. Oh, the name of the church got changed. And that's the church that Jesus said, the gates of hell can't withstand. Seriously? Or do you think that maybe Jesus, is, or maybe Satan's going, I like that kind of church. Why? Because their focus isn't about Jesus anymore. It's about preference. When I read in Philippians, I was going through this with young adults last night. When I'm reading Paul saying, hey, I want you to move forward in one spirit, one mind, one intention, side by side for the cause of the gospel. Side by side, focused on one thing. Not your comfort, not my comfort or preference, but the cause of the gospel that we actually believe that those who don't have a relationship with Jesus will be separated from God for eternity. The small stuff shouldn't matter. The cause of Jesus is the primary and only focus. And our whole lives are spent on one cause. Brian, I'll be tired. I know it is our honor and joy to get to exhaust ourselves for the cause of Jesus before I die. And when I'm in his presence, I can rest. Because I don't preach in heaven. Because nobody gives a rip. Hey, I want to talk about Jesus. Brian, shut up. He's right there. Okay, see you later. Have a good one. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, preeminent, ultimate, priority, everything. Not in addition to your life, your life. Friends, we would, we would have no life if it weren't for Jesus. We wouldn't have anything. So when I had a friend, a friend, unfriend me on Facebook because he said, Brian, there's more to life than God. 
I just had to make sure I don't understand. I'm going to message you so I know I unfriended you. Oh my gosh, please don't unfriend me. Don't unfriend me. My whole identity is on how many people I know on Facebook. Here's the thing. There is no life outside of Jesus. And the reason that somebody who would call themselves a follower of Jesus could actually say that is because we've actually bought into the lie that there is. There is no life outside of Jesus because he's the only provider of life. The fact we breathe is because of Jesus. So we have nothing outside of him. So he's preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Peace. Just let that sink in because when you really accept it, doesn't it sound fantastic? Like you can actually take a breath. He's kind of sitting there and go, I have peace with God. Fathers of Jesus, we have peace with God. We can just enjoy him as he enjoys us. And we spend time in his word, not to be the good Christian, but to just know his heart, to start to understand and decipher his will and his motives and to try to grapple with and understand his glory and his majesty, but to just sit and go, this God is my dad. I have peace. We have peace with God by the blood of his cross. What a great price he paid so that we could what? Have peace with God. Jesus is preeminent. He's preeminent. And because he is, would you do me a favor as we close in prayer? Could you just stand in honor of Jesus? No other thing, just because of who he is. And as you're standing, just to remind you, the prayer ministry is open to your right, that door right over there on the right. People in there would love to pray with you. But we just stand for what reason? Because Jesus is preeminent. He's supreme. We make much of him because he's worthy. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. And we stand in honor of you for everything you've done And everything that you are, God, you are too good to us. And even in the midst of the brokenness of the world, you still, God, you're still getting glory. You're doing everything. You've created everything that it would point us to you. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help us live our lives in a manner worthy of Jesus today. God, we love you. Use us this week and may we grow in our knowledge of you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, amen. Love you all more than you know.